Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Rockfield's 2020 third quarter earnings results conference call. My name is Megan and I will be your conference operator today. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star from the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to draw your question, please press the pound key. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded for replay purposes. I will now turn the call over to Graham Jennings, Vice President, Investor Relations. Graham, please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Rossgold's third quarter earnings results conference call and webcast. Today on the call, we have John Dord, President and CEO, Vince Sapupo, Chief Financial Officer, Paul Criddle, Chief Operating Officer, Paul Whedon, Vice President Exploration, and Eric Pick, Vice President Corporate Development, all of whom will be available for questions following the presentation. Please note that certain statements made on today's call may contain forward-looking information subject to known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors. For more information, we will refer you to our detailed cautionary note within the last night's press release. Also, please note that all amounts are in U.S. dollars unless otherwise stated. I will now turn the call over to John to take you through our results. Thank you, Graham, and good morning, everyone. I am pleased to welcome you all to our call to discuss our third quarter 2020 operating and financial results. It goes without saying that this has been an extraordinary year for everyone, and I am pleased to say our team has done an exceptional job keeping everyone safe and healthy while delivering remarkably strong operating and financial results in the face of such challenges. Safety has always been of utmost importance for Roxgold, and we were disappointed to record one lost time injury during the quarter. While we will discuss it in more detail later in the call, I wanted to highlight the updated resource and reserve statement for Yaramoko, which we released yesterday. To increase our reserve base after depletion over the past 18 months was a significant achievement for us as it provides additional evidence of our ability to maintain mine life at our flagship asset. I would like to thank our geological team for their innovative approach in essentially turning our historical practice of looking deeper on its head and defining an extremely high-grade open pit reserve at surface. For the traditionalists amongst you, we have recently commenced a significant underground drilling program and I look forward to reporting on results in the coming quarters. Looking at Q3 operations, the Yaramoko mine complex has continued to provide a stable foundation of long-term production and free cash flow generation for rocks gold. The mine saw an increase in gold production with 33,557 ounces produced, bringing the year-to-date total to 98,749 ounces. The uptick in production was fuelled by the continued outperformance of the processing plant, which processed a near record 131,000 tonnes at an average head grade of 7.7 grams per tonne. The processing plant was supplemented with approximately 36,000 tonnes of lower grade stockpile material, which offset lower mine tonnes of nearly 110,000 ounces at an average grade of 8.9 grams per tonne. The lower mining activity is directly attributed to the increased coronavirus-related protection protocols at site. These measures include reduced on-site crew sizes, increased social distancing measures, 
and enhanced cleaning and disinfecting protocols. During the quarter, mining operations at the 55 zone mined 70,581 tonnes at an average grade of 9.9 grams per tonne, while Bagasse South contributed 39,185 tonnes at a grade of 7.1 grams per tonne. Taken together, approximately 69% of mine ore came from stoping activities, with the remaining ore from development. Decline development at Bagasse South was completed at the end of September, allowing for the mine to transition to full-time stoping operations Full, sorry, full-time stoping activities going forward. Turning to the financial results, Roxgold reported gold sales in Q3 totaling $57.4 million from the sale of 30,401 ounces of gold. Gold sales came in below production due to the timing of shipments at the end of the quarter, which will be made up in Q4. The adherence to tight, tight, tight cost controls continued in the quarter with Yaramoko averaging operating costs of $158 per tonne processed, resulting in cash operating costs per ounce produced of $615 per ounce. As a result, the company was able to report robust cash flow from mining operations of $28 million, or $0.08 cents per share, and an adjusted EBITDA of $26 million for an EBITDA margin of 45% in the quarter. The strong gold price in the quarter translated to an average realised gold price of $1,887 per ounce. This allowed Roxgold to realise record mine operating margins of $1,152 per ounce and an 18% return on equity. All in sustaining costs were impacted by the ongoing impacts of COVID-19, timing of gold shipments as mentioned earlier and higher gold prices increasing royalty payments above our guidance assumptions. Looking at the all-in sustaining cost breakdown, we can see that the, the processing of lower-grade stockpile material made necessary by the impacts of COVID management restrictions translated to a $50 impact on costs. In addition, the inclusion of 3,320 ounces of unshipped gold doray would have reduced the all-in sustaining cost by approximately $35 per ounce for the quarter. Finally, the higher gold price of $1,887 per ounce not only led to increased cash flow and operating margins, but it also translated to an increase in royalty payments of $20 per ounce above guidance assumptions due to Bikina's sliding scale royalty regime. Adjusting for these impacts would have resulted in a normalised oil and sustaining cost of $989 per ounce, which would have just been inside our guidance range. Looking ahead, we expect to see a decline in oil and sustaining cost this quarter as decline development costs at Bagasse South were completed in September. Taken together, based on year-to-date performance, the company is expecting to be within its cost guidance range, but at the upper end. Roxgold finished the quarter with $50 million in cash, plus an additional $6.4 million in gold doré awaiting shipment. At the end of Q2, and as a result of extending the mine life at Yaramoko, the company was able to further strengthen its liquidity position through the refinancing of its existing Yaramoko facility and securing an additional $20 million as a revolving credit facility. This strong liquidity position provides increased financial flexibility to allow us to aggressively build cash on our balance sheet while supporting our ambitious growth initiatives. As outlined, Yaramoko had a very strong quarter, reporting over $28 million of cash flow from mining operations and free cash flow before growth spend of $15.3 million, including the income tax payment of $1.4 million in the quarter. We continue to invest in the business, spending $5.5 million in underground mine development at the 55 zone and $3.7 million at Bagasse South. Our growth spending continues to ramp up as we 
We focus on value accretive spending at Seguela and Basura, spending $8.1 million in the quarter. This increase is a result of the ongoing exploration success of both Seguela and Basura, as well as increased spending at Seguela as the feasibility study advances towards completion in the first half of next year. We remain committed to delivering our current business plan, including the building of Seguela, without the need to resort to additional equity financing. Taken together, the third quarter was a very successful quarter for the company. We have produced nearly 99,000 ounces of gold year to date, which puts us well on track to be on the upper end of our guidance targets of 120 to 130,000 ounces. Focus, as mentioned, in light of the current environment, costs are expected to be within our guidance targets, albeit towards the upper end. We've increased our growth spend expectations for the year, raising them to 20 to $25 million, up from 15 to 20 million previously, due to the ongoing success of the drilling program at Seguela and Basura and the commencement of early works in Q4 at Seguela. The early works at Seguela are expected to start before the end of the year and include a front-end engineering and design study, upgrading site access through a road improvement program and some initial site works for the accommodation village. These activities will allow us to quickly ramp up to full construction next year with the aim of starting production at Seguela in 2022. Turning back to Yarramoko, yesterday morning we announced an updated mineral reserve and resource estimate for Yarramoko, which saw proven and probable reserves increase 8% to 710,000 ounces and measured and indicated resources increase 4% to 857,000 ounces. This increase was net of mining depletion of nearly 208,000 ounces from December 31, 2018 to June 30, 2020, and reinforces the continued potential at Yarramoko to replace production and extend mine life. Last month, we initiated a 14,500 metre underground drill program from the 4,700 level, 600 metres below surface in the 55 zone. This program is designed with the intention of upgrading and extending mineral resources at depth to approximately 1,200 metres below surface, while also allowing us to conduct some exploratory drilling as we will look to test the foot wall of the 55 zone, drilling behind the image seen here for potential additional structures. We look forward to updating the market as results from this program become available, which we expect will continue to expand mine life potential at Yarramoko beyond the currently defined mine life. Detailed structural mapping and geostatistical work carried out on the 55 zone over the last 12 months has further refined and enhanced the understanding of key mineralised structures within the high grade 55 zone at depth and is expected to result in a high degree of conversion and the extension of mineralisation at depth. The results of this program will be incorporated into the annual mineral resource and reserves update to be released in the second half of next year. Yarramoko has now been operating for nearly five years and since production in 2016, we have poured over 575,000 ounces of gold, which puts the total endowment uncovered at Yarramoko to date at approximately 1.4 million ounces, a sizable and growing heft for what was once perceived as a small underground mine with plenty more to come. Focusing on yesterday's resource announcement, the increase in mineral reserves and measured and indicated resources is primarily attributed to the success of a drilling program that delineated mineralisation in the near surface portion of the 55 zone, intersecting several high grade intervals close to surface and above zones previously mined from underground in the early stages of the 55 zone. Based on the 3,700 metres of RC and diamond drilling completed in February 2020, 
and subsequent completion of an internal mine plan analysis, these near-surface mineral reserves and mineral resources support the commencement of an open pit at the eventual completion of the 55-zone underground mine, at which point we will be targeting nearly a quarter of a million ounces of indicated resources of open pitable material at a very high grade of 7.7 .7 grams per tonne. As a result, Yarramoco continues to push forward its seven to eight year mine life prior to any contribution from the recently initiated underground drill campaign. The potential for an open pit at Bagasy South is also a high priority target for the upcoming exploration program, given the much larger surface expression of historical artisanal workings around the current mining operation. Over the course of this year, a review of near-surface mineralisation opportunities across the Yarramoco property has been completed, incorporating a site-wide structural and geotechnical review, as well as integrating details and key observations from detailed mapping of the 55 zone and Bagasy South underground workings. The program identified several early-stage opportunities for additional exploration drilling in addition to the work carried out on the 55 zone open pit. High priority targets include several along the interpreted western corridor of the 55 zone and at Bagasy South, as well as the 109 and 300 prospects. Delineation of near surface targets will be the initial focus of exploration activities, while we will look to systematically test the remaining two dozen high priority targets, as well as further exploration work to identify and delineate additional targets within the permit boundaries. Extending the mine life at Yarramoco has long been a priority for us and between the success of the near-surface drilling program to together with our recently commenced underground drilling program and the prioritisation of regional exploration targets, I am confident that we will be build a compelling body of evidence over the coming quarters to showcase the long-life nature of Yarramoco. Turning to Seguela, we had two notable developments at Seguela in Q3. First was the discovery of Kula a high-grade prospect which is looking like a direct analogue to Anxian and located only one kilometre east of Antenna and the proposed processing plant. Second was the announcement that Seguela received the environmental approval permit from the Ministry of Environment. This is a key milestone in the permitting process with the next permitting-related milestones being the exploitation permit and completion of the mining convention negotiation process both of which we anticipate will be received prior to the feasibility study report, which is on track for the first half of next year. Seguela is a project that is not only continuing to improve, but is also moving ahead quickly, which has given our board the confidence to approve the early works budget. We are targeting pouring first gold from Seguela in 2022, which is a similar expedited pace of project development that our team achieved at Yarramoco. Comparing timelines, Yarramoco came into production just under four years after the initial resource. Similarly, at Yarramoco, we were able to commence site works after receiving ESIA approval and were in production just over a year after breaking ground. At Seguela, we expect to be in production three to three and a half years after Roxgold's initial resource. As noted, we plan to commence site works before the end of the year, which we believe makes our goal of production in 2022 readily achievable. Projects can move quickly in West Africa, and good projects demand to move quicker. Seguela is such a project with exceptional prospective project economics and one which has the potential to more than double our production within a short time frame without dilution to our shareholders. As such, Seguela continues to be the company's highest priority growth initiative. 
with the discovery of cooler, we now have four drill rigs turning at the prospect to fast track it for inclusion into the feasibility study. Otherwise, all of the drilling at Antenna, Ancien, Boulder and Agouti in support of the feasibility is now complete. We expect the feasibility study for Seguela to compare well with what was defined in the PEA. As you may recall, the PEA outlined 890,000 ounces of mineable resource in the mine plan based on a drilling cutoff date of early February of this year, with initial production at 140,000 ounces per year due to the positive impact of the high-grade Ancien pit. Since February, we have continued to have success extending mineralisation along strike and at depth at all four deposits and have brought Cooler forward as the fifth deposit to be included. Should Cooler prove to be an ancient lookalike, then there is significant potential to extend the peak production years farther into the mine life, which will directly contribute to the bottom line economics of the project. Taken together, this underpins the potential we see for Seguela to be bigger and better than as outlined in the PEA, and look forward to demonstrating this potential in the feasibility study early next year. While Seguela is moving ahead quickly, we are eager to continue to test the ever-growing number of targets on our land package towards making Seguela a household name of West African mines in a few years' time. Finally, our exploration teams have recently resumed their activities on the ground at Basura following the rainy season earlier this quarter. The Basura project was staked by Roxgold, having seen only a modest amount of formal exploration previously. It is a large land package on the southern portion of the prolific Hyundai Greenstone Belt which hosts numerous high-grade, large-scale gold discoveries, including the Yaramoko Mine Complex. We announced the discovery of Basura in February of this year and have drilled over 80 holes with consistent assay returns demonstrating broad intersections of mineralisation with lower-grade halos surrounding higher-grade quartz veining at Fafora to the north and high-grade veins at Gilgooli to the south. We are excited by the potential scale of this project with multiple additional veins with active artisanal workings yet to be tested and numerous targets identified on our exploration permit with similar geochemistry and geophysical anomalies. We currently have three drills turning at Basura with the focus on drilling the additional five vein sets identified at Fafora, testing targets near Galguli and conducting an air core drill program to prioritise the regional targets that have demonstrated high prospectivity from recent geochemical results. While still in its early days, our exploration successes at Basura is building confidence that the project has the potential to become Roxgold's third value accretive assets. Uh, asset. In closing, I want to thank you for joining us on this call. While this year has been challenging for everyone around the globe, it has also proved to be an exciting year for Roxgold. The company continues to see strong and steady production and cash flow generation from Yaramoko, which we are reinvesting into value accretive growth initiatives at Seguela, Basura and Yaramoko itself. Looking ahead, we are eager to see the calendar roll over into 2021 as the next year has become never looked brighter for the company, bringing Seguela and its potential cash flow contribution into direct line of sight for forward-looking investors. Thank you for your time this morning and with that, I will now pass the line to the operator to take any questions you may have. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from Jordy Marks with Haywood Security. The line is open. 
Uh, yeah, good morning or uh, good evening, where you are. Uh, thanks for asking the call uh, today. Uh, a few questions there, and, and maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start off on the, on the updated reserves um, announced yesterday. Um, if you give us a, an idea of how best to uh, essentially model the, the overfit extractable uh, reserves um, included in, in the updates uh, yesterday and, and when in the mine schedule, um, that would likely uh, likely come in. Sure, Geordie. Um, I'll let uh, I might let Paul handle the uh, the meat of the question, but I think in terms of the schedule, um, we're looking at this being the end of the uh, at the end of the underground mine life. Essentially, what happens with the open pit is that some of the infrastructure that supports the underground operation will be included in the open pit. So. Um, we better be very careful, very uh, very certain that we've finished underground mining um, before we start the open pit, or there could be some some complications. So, so I think you know, from a modelling perspective, I guess when the open pit comes in really does depend upon your outlook on on you know mine life extensions at the 55 zone. I mean, we would we would argue that the ability and the potential for us to extend that mine life considerably is, is very much alive and part of the puzzle is going to be unwrapped over the next sort of six months or so with the, with the next leg of drilling. So basically, you know, from a, from, from a sort of a, a high level, I would, I would sort of start it coming in uh, basically at the end of wherever you draw the line through the, uh, through the underground operation. But I'll let, uh, I'll let uh, one, you know, the two Pauls handle the, some, of the, some of the bit more of the background to the, uh, what the project looks like. Thanks, Jenny. Uh, Jordy, um, so far the schedule has the underground operations for the current reserves and no additional drilling included, uh, completing in 2025. In 2025, it's uh, carrying on for 2.5 years into 2020, as currently defined. Um, the open pit, as uh, included in the resource and the reserves, uh, has, has been let to chase that high grade material down to the end of, of economic extent. Mm -hmm. um, there is an optimisation exercise to do uh, with grade controlled drilling that, that may and, and likely, in my opinion, bring the floor of that pit up. But at the moment, the initial reserve and resource statements uh, contemplate that, that material being chased to the, to the extent of the economic uh, constraints of the resource reserve models. Um, we tended the tended the uh, design of that pit to local contractors, so we were confident in the in the mining costs uh, to uh, to to extract that that deposit. So yeah, we, we feel pretty good about the numbers in the reserves facility, and um, yeah, but acknowledge there's definitely some opportunities to to optimise those as we get a bit more information. Your next question is from Richard Gray with Cormark. Your line is open. Hey guys, just a, one follow-up on the uh, the air local open pit. Do you have any idea what we could put in as a strip ratio for for that ore? Yeah, Richard. Look at, at the moment. At the moment, um, we've let that that shell constrain down to the bottom of the economics, and then that results in a, in a strip ratio in the vicinity of about thirty. As you can appreciate, that is a very high-grade open pit, and so that's that's not good in the realms of, of reasonableness. But I think there is an exercise to do 
as we get a bit more definition from the grey control drone, it will bring the floor of that pit upwards and will take more of that from the underground mine. But for the purposes of illustrating the open pit opportunity, we've left that, that pit run as deep as it can unconstrained. Okay, that's helpful. And just on maybe costs in, in Q3 and looking forward, are, uh, I guess the first one is, is, do you expect to catch up on these gold shipments or is this going to be something that's probably just going to kind of lag for the, a few quarters? And, and do you think these COVID-related costs that you're, you're seeing in Q2 and Q3, like, should we expect those kind of going forward? Is that a fair assumption, just given what you know right now? So, so Rich, I think uh, fair to say the, the gold shipment will be caught up in Q4. So, I mean, basically just a little bit of logistics challenges with sort of airfare, you know, sort of, you know, transport uh, from from mine site to the airport, and then the the timing of of of, um, of flights, etc. So, you know, obviously we don't let our we won't, don't want our gold sort of wandering around Bikina, so it's all pretty sort of specific and lined up. So. It's been a bit more challenging in the current environment. So normally we like to have a layer of gold off-site and sold, obviously, for obvious reasons. So, so that will be that that gold is now being shipped and sold. So that that we've caught that up, and uh, we'll be pretty surprised if if that's the case in you know come 31 December. So I, I would expect that will be a normal normalisation. So we'll get a bit of a, we should pick up a bit of a bonus this year with sorry this quarter with the impact of that of that sale holding over from last quarter. So so nothing nothing sort of continuing forward there, I don't think. Um, you know, in terms of costs, it's it's sort of, I mean, it's it's really been around, mainly around efficiencies, and it's largely a, a component of that has been the, the requirement for us to augment the processing plant with that low-grade, lower-grade sort of stockpile, and that and that sort of brings the, the sort of the embedded cost that we've accounted for that to bear, which is where you sort of see the impact through through those on a on a per ounce basis. So, look, I think we we're in the process of of doing our budgeting and and forecasting for next year. I think we see you know sort of broadly speaking, production numbers in in the sort of the, the you know pretty similar to where we are this year. I think our guidance range for next year will look pretty similar to what it is this year. I think we expect uh, costs to be a little bit better. In, in terms of the fact that we should be able to, you know, our planning is that we'll be able to adapt, continue to adapt and, and get more stoping ore into the mill and not be relying on the, um, on, on the stockpile as much, and that would be positive for our costs. But, you know, it's, it's, everything comes with a bit of an asterisk at, at, at the moment, a little bit of a caveat around just making sure that we can continue to move our people in and out and have the availability of the skill operators as and when we need them, which by and large has been pretty good, but you can sort of see that it, there, are, there are a bit of pressures that, that, that come to bear. Okay, thanks for that. Your next question is from Kay McCurry. We can't afford anyone to open. Hey, good morning or good evening. Um, just maybe just back to clarify, Miramoko. So for Q4, we should expect the, the mining rate to still be a bit depressed due to the COVID impact and similar sort of quarterly performance to Q3. Yeah, I think we're we're pretty pretty looking pretty good for a Q4 production. Uh, I know, Paul. Do you want to comment specifically on that? I've been I've been pretty happy reading the daily reports. I've got to say. Um, I'm thinking more in terms of the mining rate. Is, is, is that expected to rebound or is it expected to sort of be at similar levels? I think 
we're expecting to see a, a slight rebound. Um, and with us, we're seeing right now, you know, we're a bit of the way through it. I think the point to note would be that, you know, in Q3, when, when you know, COVID really kicked in, we, we reacted and then made some changes to, to steady the ship. And, and as it's turned out, we've been able to, to keep producing, as John says, particularly from a scoping-only perspective, at, at higher than anticipated rates at that moment. So, yeah, I, I do expect to see a slight recovery in Q4. And then maybe just on Seguela in terms of the feasibility study. I mean, what are what do you think the biggest upside opportunities are? I guess beyond just you know adding more ounces to the plan. Like, what are the other moving parts that you're you're contemplating? Look, I think that the um, you know the, the big the big mover here is, is is going to be cooler. Um, we're really excited about what we see there, um, but. You know, I think John, as I mentioned earlier, I, the way the feasibility study is coming together looks a lot like the PEA. Um, you know, we, we've infilled it. We've been able to go out to market. We've, we've had a very comprehensive RFQ process. We've, we've, we've spoken to everyone active in the region. I, I really feel we're going to go pretty close to validating, and if not in a couple of areas, improving on what we've seen in the PEA, and and we'll bring cooler to bear. So. You know, it, it, it won't be... It'll look very similar, plus cooler, is what I think, okay? Yeah, so I think uh, the, the way we've been... Sorry, the way we've been looking at Seguela and the sort of the medium-term development of it is, is really a sort of a three-part story. So the, the first leg of that, which is where we are now, is really the... First and foremost, the reservification, if you will, of the PEA... And, and, and that's gone really well. That drilling's been wrapped up at the, at the pre-existing deposits. Cool has come along as a little bit of a bonus, um, obviously, which is, which is great. And, and very similar, we think that that's going to have a similar impact to Ancien. So I think that, you know, I'd like to, to think that we sort of get out that production um, up to or slightly above a million ounces in the, in the feasibility study. That's a sort of the goal at the moment. And, and that would be beneficial mainly because those additional ounces would be coming from a similar similar grade, probably a similar grade background to Ainston, and, you know, where you sort of saw that first three, three and a half years of really nice production driven by the, the Ainston turbochargers, we, we can extend that with the, uh, with the, with the cooler turbocharger, so, or, or maybe supercharger, so we've got a yeah, turbocharger and a supercharger on our V8 now, which is going to sound amazing. Um, and, and that's sort of so. So that's sort of stage one. Stage two, I think, where we get into next year, is really continuing to to explore, maybe you know, extend the existing deposits, whether there's potential for ancient and and cooler to go underground, and whether there's another ancient cooler or two floating around. And, and then I think the ultimate, you know, the internet goal there would be to support that 140,000, 150,000 ounces that you sort of saw for three years in the PEA, hopefully you see for five to six years in the feasibility study, maybe being able to extend that to, say, 10 years. So, you know, so, so you know, by the end of next year, be able to sort of point to uh, Seguela having, you know, doing 150,000 ounces for 10 years plus. And then I think the, the third part of the trilogy is really... And, which is probably a longer period, is really unpacking the full potential of Seguela. Because, I mean, we, we own this greenstone belt as it, as it comes out um, and daylights basically here in Cote d'Ivoire. So we've got a large land position there. There's a ton of targets and prospectivity, and, and, and the return on the drill bit has just been really exceptional. 
So I think that's that's the longer the dated one. And, and for us, the impact of getting Seguela into production and, and more than doubling our production on the same share count is, is so profound that we are motivated very, very strongly to put it into production. But it, I, I don't think we should lose sight that this is a project that's very much in its early innings and, and could well become a very substantial deposit uh, or, or series of deposits in a substantial resource base. But for the moment, we're trying to, to try to do a bit of everything, but with a particular focus on getting it into reserves and into production and, and having that really profound impact on our production and cash flow profile. Great, that, that's, that's helpful. And maybe just one more if I can, just in terms of the financing, you know, before you start construction, are you looking to add additional, you know, maybe debt financing ahead of construction or just what's your thoughts on the balance sheet ahead of construction there? Yeah, so so we're in a pretty fortunate position now with uh, with a with a nice strong balance sheet. Um, you know, sort of nearly, I guess, with cash in the door, over nearly sixty million. You know, nearly sixty million dollars of cash, and you know, and the ability we, as you, as we saw, we were able to refinance Yarramoko. So, you know, Yarramoko with these new reserves will we'll, we'll have some additional borrowing capacity. Um, but then once we have the feasibility study completed for Seguela, that will also bring its, its, its financing capacity to bear. And we're looking this very much in a sort of a traditional project, not project finance, maybe more of a corporate financing, but, you know, similar sort of banking partners who, who have a pretty strong fixation on reserves. And I think that's important. So I think when we have, have the bow tied around the Seguela feasibility study, we'll be able to to go to our, you know, you know, certainly, you know, existing banking partners and talk to some others as well about a new financing that, that incorporates the extended mine life at Yarramoko and the new reserves and feasibility study at Seguela. And I think, you know, as a rough working number, I, I would sort of work to around $150 million of, of facilities, um, bearing in mind that we have about $30 million drawn at Yarramoko. So what we're trying, what we've been able to do, because we're able to extend that Yarramoko mine life is, is extend that repayment profile at Yarramoko, which allows us to build cash. So, you know, we're going to build cash this quarter. So we'll, we'll have a, a pretty tidy cash sum at the end of 2020. We'll be making cash all the way through 2021, obviously. We'll have that, call it, additional $120-odd million of liquidity plus, you know, maybe, you know, with the existing, you know, support, you know, $120 to $140 million of additional liquidity. And, and that's why we're very confident that we don't need to resort to additional equity. I think there's, there's, there should be more than enough cash on the balance sheet, cash flow from Yarramoko and additional borrowing capacity to be able to build Seguela comfortably uh, without, without resort to, to equity financing while still not stressing our balance sheet out. Great. Thanks, John. Vince, any, did, I, did I cover everything there? I didn't, uh, I didn't get over my skis. Yeah, that was great. Thanks. Your next question is from Wayne Lamb with RBC. Your line is open. Open. Hey guys, thanks for taking my questions. Um, I just wonder if you could uh, remind us, um, in terms of the permitting outstanding at Seguela, you know, what needs to be done to, uh, you know, get the full permitting, and has there been, uh, you know, any impact to that timeline given the recent election? Uh, results in the contention uh, in Cote d'Ivoire. Sure, Wayne. So, so basically, there there are three primary steps 
steps for permitting the mining in Cote d'Ivoire. And, and, and arguably, we've already stepped through the, the, the major one, which was the ESIA. So, so the three parts of the, are the ESIA, the mining, the mining permit, the exploitation permit, and then the mining convention. So, so with the ESIA, that allows us to, to start working on site, which is what we're, we're planning to do this quarter. The, the exploitation permit essentially allows us to, to mine the minerals, um, and the mining convention is essentially our fiscal stability agreement. So, so basically, you, for us, the next step is, is the exploitation permit, and that's through a process called um, uh, co-mine, which is essentially a, a sort of a, a, a bringing together of the, the various departments that are involved in permitting gold mines in Cote d'Ivoire. It's very similar to the process in Burkina Faso. So that, that process is led by the Department of Mines. So we've been through the ESIA, which is driven by the Environmental Department. So that's being ticked off. So that's, that's good. So now we're now back under the sort of the, the umbrella of the Mines Department. We were, we are ahead of, we are ahead by, you know, from a from a global perspective, we're ahead of our timeline quite comfortably with the ESIA. We weren't necessarily expecting to get the ESIA this year. Uh, now that the ESIA is in hand, we were sort of pushing to hopefully have our, our sort of the big congress on the on the exploitation permit per, sort of you know early this month, but it, it didn't get done. Um, mainly more more from the COVID management rather than actual around the election. So there's still a you know a decent chance that that could be before the end of the year, but you know maybe from a planning perspective you might think early in the new year. And if we had the exploitation permit, we could we could go and build. We could start building the mine. You know, we could start building the mine today, but we wouldn't be able to mine it. But if you know what I mean. So and then the convention should come pretty quickly after that. So we we think that we should be able to have the permitting wrapped up in you know around the sort of first quarter, early second quarter next year. That's which is pretty much in line, still a little ahead of where we were, um, where we're sort of ultimately planning to say at the start of this year. So it's all still looking pretty good. Okay, sounds good. And um, just looking at the uh, updated operating cost parameters used in the reserve uh, that was put out yesterday, um, it just looks like prior to the uh, costs used. Um, and uh, December 2018 reserve, um, the mining costs looked like they came up a bit at Bagasy South, and there was a much lower GNA uh, assumption used. I'm just wondering if uh, that's something that we should kind of anticipate uh, going forward in terms of modeling out the uh, operating cost assumptions. Uh, yeah, so I might, uh, I might well, let one of the pools uh, tackle. Tackle that. Over to you guys. Look, Wayne, the, um, the assumptions used uh, stated in I guess there are other ones that, that you should contemplate going forwards. I think that in, when, when looking back, Nadine, it's important to note that we've had two iterations of the mining contract. Uh, so two updates of the mining contract, which have had two separate sets of negotiations. First one included the um, the inclusion of Bagsy South scope and, and then now the extension to the mine life as well. So it's, it's, you know, it's not quite apples and apples. So, yeah, the numbers we've stated yesterday are what you should be looking at going forwards. Okay. So 
In terms of uh, on an operating cost per ton basis, we should think about something more in the $130 uh, kind of range uh, versus 100, call it 45 type of thing. Yeah, that's not unreasonable. Okay, sounds good. And then uh, maybe just the last question on the cost guidance. Um, you know, just looking at Q4, to get to the upper end, looks like there's going to be have to be a substantial catch-up uh, on the cost next quarter. Uh, just wondering, um, you know, given some of the impacts of uh, COVID-19, um, just wondering if it's still reasonable uh, to get there. Look, I think you know. I think we we still believe that it is. Um, we do have the benefits, so we we get to wind back that gold sale that we didn't have uh, in Q3. So that sort of that gives us a little bit of a, a tailwind at the start of this quarter. Um, so you know, I mean, it's again, it sort of it, it sort of comes with a little bit with that asterisk, um, which is hard to escape at the moment. But but sort of Q4 was always shaping up as our you know we were sort of you know this year was. Better, better production and better costs in the in the second half. Um, fact is that Bagasy, you know, from and a big component of our sustaining capital, as you know, is 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 underground development, and we we wrapped up, we stopped spending that at Agassiz South in terms of the underground development of the decline. So that's 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 gone. So that was still that was still there in Q3. So that's not there in Q4. So that's probably the most um, compelling piece of that of that puzzle. Um, maybe, maybe Vince, do you want to add some colour to that as well? Yeah, John, it's a, it's a combination we expect with the Bagasy South decline being completed in Q3, so we'll see that in Q4. Also, at this stage, we're seeing uh, lower, uh, less uh, low-grade, the uh, lower-grade stockpile being processed because the mining activity increased, so that, that will also have a positive impact on our, on our costs for Q4 in addition to the timing of the, the gold sales. Oh, you got it. That's it for me. Thanks, guys. Your next question is from Ryan Thank Walker with Echelon Partners. Line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for the call. I dropped off this a little bit, uh, so forgive any repetition here, but uh, just firstly, on the updated uh, reserve uh, any any impact on guidance for 21 and 22 uh, on the back of that? Um, look, I mean, we're sort of pulling together our, our more detailed uh, forecasts and budgets for next year, but I think, you know, certainly for next year, I, I haven't sort of, I, I wouldn't, um, 2022, we'll sort of we'll refine our view, but certainly for 2021, I think um, we're, we're, you know, still comfortable with that. I think, you know, in terms of production, I think we'll, we'll, we'll have that sort of same, you know, we, we're looking like the same sort of range as we as we had at the start of the year for, for next year going forward, and I I don't think you know if I had to guess, I don't think 2022 is going to be that different either. But with with you know 2021 with a high degree of confidence that it's it's going to look pretty much um, as we as we said at the start of the year. I don't know if uh, the other guys have anything to add to that. No, uh, both 2021 and 22 look very similar to this year, John. Okay, and then... Hopefully with no pandemic. Yeah. 
so, and I guess related to that, so I guess you, someone mentioned that mining activity underground was picking up a little bit. Is there a point at which, if, if this continues, uh, do you get in any kind of jeopardy of, of not having enough stoke development ahead of you? How, how long would you have to go at, at kind of reduced rates to see that kind of happen? No, we, we, um, we're, we're focusing on, on the decline now. Um, we've managed to rejig, you know, and, and as John mentioned earlier, I think we've, we've managed to to respond and adjust to, 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 the, to the situation. You know, we've now got a different reality. We run an additional camp whereby our Yaramoka Island isolation strategy is now, is now, now bigger. So we've, we've worked out how to run the mine um, with the reality should it. Okay, and then just uh, last one for me here. Um, I just wanted to confirm that the potential strip for the open pit that was thirty-three-zero to one. That's correct. At the moment, the high grade is drives that pit to to the end of the economic extent. We we think that as we complete the grade control drilling there's the potential for the floor of that pit to come up and obviously that strip ratio to come down. But at the moment, we've left that run to the bottom of the economic extent. Okay. Great. That's it for me. Thanks, guys. I think, it, I think it's worth noting too that... Sorry, sorry, Ryan, just with the, the open pit mining assumption and that even with that strip ratio, the mining cost is, is pretty analogous to what we have from, an un, from the underground perspective. So, um, you know, even, even with what looks like a pretty high... You know, a high sort of sort of headline number on the strip ratio. When you when you work it through, it's still pretty competitive. It's actually still competitive with what we see from the underground and, yeah. and the grades, as you can see, you know, eight, eight gram open pit. So, uh, but I think that I think that's going to be refined, and we'll find the the right level for that. So there's you know uh, a bit of a little bit of probably hopefully some some some, some adjustments to that going forward. Great. Okay. Thank you. Your final question comes from Jordy Mark with Haywood Securities. Your line is open. Yeah, good day again. Just uh, circulating, Mac. Um, obviously, the definite success of Ancien and, and uh, Cool there, uh, the analogy. Um, if you're looking holistically at, at the updated feasibility, well, feasibility coming on board, are you thinking of the possibility of putting cooler in concurrently with Antion, or would it sort of dovetail to, to back end on that? And, and with that, you know, how much drilling do you think you'll be able to complete on cooler prior to any cutoffs to include that in the, in the, in the upcoming feasibility? Yeah. I, I think just in terms of the, the mine schedule, Jordi, I mean, I think... You know, off, off the bat, and that's sort of why we're. I guess that's sort of going to be sort of. There's still a bit of work in progress in terms of the of the of the feasibility study. Um, if you'd asked me, I would have said that it's probably. You know, antenna is still the, that base that base load production, and that's that's sweetened by Ancien, which is what the, what it was in the PA, and then I think, you know, intuitively I. I would think that that, that continues that sweetening process continues on for a, for a few more years with cooler replacing Antium. but I know I know Paul and the team have been looking at that that sort of commingling cooler and and um, and uh, the uh, and Ancient. and back to my sort of rather 
rather convoluted engine assumption uh, engine analogy before. I think you'd be starting to look at a top fuel dragster if you had the two of them combined at the same time. But I'll let Paul comment on where that thinking is. In terms of uh, Paul, the other Paul will talk about drilling in a moment, but I think given the proximity of Tula to Antenna, it's a lot closer, uh, and, and obviously the processing facility, if we end up with a, with an analogue to Antenna, then it just makes a lot of sense to bring that in immediately uh, along with Antenna. Um, and as John says, it, it, we, we think uh, it's likely that, that Antenna would then come along on the back of that. Um, again, in parallel with an antenna, given it's a much bigger deposit. Then, in terms of drilling, yeah, thanks, Paul. So, Geordie, in terms of drilling, we're three holes away from completing the inferred drilling component of the current program, um, and we've got four rigs um, on site, and so we've already started the, in, the infill indicator program that tracks towards an early January completion of that particular program. Uh, and we've got a schedule which sees cooler getting introduced into the feasibility. It'll tie the feasibility back into the, in the uh, back end of H1 next year. We don't see this being a significant uh, impact in terms of the schedule, uh, mainly because we got onto this thing pretty quickly and it's been remarkably similar to NTN. So we've used a lot of the assumptions from NTN and so far they've all held true. So it's been a real fast-track process for us. Great. Okay. No, thanks for that update. Appreciate that. To clarify, Drew, we, we don't think that cooler, you know, other than some hall roads and things, complicates any other aspects of the project. Uh, you know, it doesn't increase the size of, of mill or, or tailings infrastructure. It just, as John mentioned earlier, makes it, it turbocharges it better for longer. Got yeah. it. Yeah, more consistent production grade over time. There are no further questions at this time. Mr. Darwood, I turn the call back over to you. Thank you. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining the call today. And if there are any follow-up questions, uh, please don't hesitate to address them either through Graham or myself. And we look forward to, um, to speaking to you again in the new year with our Q4 results and, and then ultimately the results of our feasibility study at Sigwala. Uh, so please have, hope you all have a great day and of course stay healthy. Thanks very much. This concludes this conference call. We may now. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.